0: You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. This is episode five. Let's get to the show. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back. It is great to have you here. I really hope that you've been enjoying the podcast so far, and today's subject is one that I'm super excited to get to. Uh, Before we get there, though, if you haven't had a chance, regardless of what different app you're listening to me on, I would love for you to subscribe, rate, review. I've officially hit five countries. Yay! Uh, I've got Denmark, Australia, Brazil. Brazil came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting that one, and then Mexico, Canada, In the United States, and let's do a quick count: Australia, Denmark, Brazil, Mexico, Canada, United States. Thought I was wrong the moment I said I was like, just said five, and I counted six. So this has really been awesome uh, to have everybody joining me and listening, and I've been getting some really great feedback, and I'm super excited about this. Let's talk about what's been going on in my life this week. Uh, Once I hit my two-year sobriety date, you know, there's a lot of buildup for those kind of things, and um, especially on my part, I'm I'm really big into dates. I'm really big into anniversaries, and to come across that one, you know, was pretty exciting for me to finish up 2018 complete, uh, you know, being sober, and then to hit two years shortly thereafter. Uh, Noticing on social media, uh, it seems like a lot of people choose January to get sober because I didn't. I mean, I'm sure as I really start to pay attention to the social media uh, posts that people are making, I'm probably noticed that people are getting sober all the time, but I did notice that January seemed to have a very big influx. And um, until I started this podcast uh, and started up the Instagram account from Sobriety to Recovery, I hadn't really um, ever subscribed or followed anybody who was also in recovery. I was just doing my own thing. Up until I started... The the, from sobriety to recovery Instagram account. I hadn't followed anybody else going through sobriety and recovery. And I had some, you know, some accounts I was following some really cool memes on, on my at Jesse Mogul, my main Instagram account and follow starting this, this Instagram account from sobriety to recovery specifically to be able to communicate more within the Community that we are all part of. Um, now I'm really starting to, you know, notice like, wow, there's a lot of people out there going through this, and a lot of people are being extremely vocal. And up until this podcast had started, I'd been vocal, but just in my own community with my friends and peers and at meetings I went to. And so this has really been it's been astounding to just see so many people out there um, celebrating their uh, journey of sobriety and in recovery. And so thank you all for just being a part of this community and for going out there and really sharing all of yourself and being vulnerable. There's a lot of vulnerability going on out there. And I think that's one of the most encouraging aspects of this to see is that there is um, people stepping into a newer version of themselves and and working on that emotional maturity. And that's what we're going to be talking about today because I have blocks within me, you know, of my friends and, and those closest to me, have, you know, they, it's pretty obvious that I do not deal with emotions very well. Um, alcohol and drugs were my solution for my emotional challenges and, and the heartache I went through as a child and just the overall life that I had led. And, you know, like I'm sure we've learned in our meetings, you know, most of us probably already know this, that alcohol and drugs were a solution to a problem. And that stopped working right they they were a solution and then they became so important to our entire being that there was no longer room for anything else and so now the problem of our emotional maturity and growth that we were that was stunted at some point in our lives all of a sudden that got put on the back burner in favor of our addiction and we sat there and just kept you know burying 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 it away and then all of a sudden the alcohol and drugs no longer worked Oh uh, it was like a it it literally we like we become immune now our emotional challenges became even more apparent because we were trying to deal with them in a constant state of intoxication and this has been amazing for me to learn about myself and each time I go through something that 's extremely difficult and have to push myself through this you know this invisible boundary that I have placed around myself uh it's just i can tell i can sense the growth and you know anyone who's been near me and watched the transformation that i've gone through over the last you know 730 some days uh will attest to the fact that i've grown a tremendous amount and you know and i can feel it you know i i know um you know it's like i work out a lot because you know for me my physical fitness was immediately an uh, something i decided to ground, um, anchor my entire sobriety around, you know, by eating healthy and going to the gym and lifting weights. And basically, not basically, I am absolutely in the best shape of my life. Uh, I have one of the, I have a body that I had always thought was going to be unattainable to me. I remember sitting in my big apartment I had in Gainesville, Florida, where I went to the University of Florida and sitting there in the July, there's a cycling race called the Tour de France. And I have always been a big fan of it, but during the years that I was at University of Florida, Lance Armstrong was dominating that race, and you know we all know his fall from grace since then. But at the time, we were all under the assumption that he was doing this without any kind of uh, blood infusions or you know kind of steroids. Um, and I say all that just to say I realized what he was doing, you know, now, and is, it's it's sad, but I, it doesn't take away from the enjoyment I got back then, and one of my favorite. Uh, hobbies, if you will, for the month of July, those six years I was at the University of Florida, 01 to 07, was sitting in my living room with, uh, we, we, I was so addicted to this race that we had to put two televisions in the living room so that people could play video games while I would watch the tour. And I'd watch the same stage over and over and over again. And I would just sit on my couch with a bottle of ABC's like charcoal rum or charcoal li- vodka. It was like the cheapest bottle I could buy, $7 for a handle of it at the liquor store. And I'd sit there with my pack of smokes and, and the gravity bong and... And um, the bottle of whatever booze I chose and then whatever chaser, you know, maybe it's a two liter Coke or cranberry juice or whatever. And I'd sit there and I, the entire day and I would just drink this entire handle and take gravity bong swats and chain smoke cigarettes while I'd watch the exact same stage over and over and over again. And I'd just, uh, you know, I mean, I'd be talking and hanging out, but it was just this thing for me. And it was it just it became such an important thing right of my summers and I'll never forget this one year my buddy Ryan came over and he was big into the gym and and he was telling me like you know do you need to start doing something different dude what you're doing to yourself right now it's 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 almost it's I'm pretty sure he told me that it was sad. <laughs> I mean, him and my roommates had seen me in various stages of blacked outness, and he. I think it was it was an intervention without being an intervention, you know, because I remember there being a Christian and Rob there as well, and it was clear that they were they were starting to be worried about my constant drunkenness, and uh, so Ryan was like, "Dude, got to come to the gym." you got to come to the gym. This is this will be beneficial to you. And I remember telling him that no, I don't I won't grow muscles. My dad doesn't have muscles. My brother and my uncle do. But genetics dictates that they have muscles and uh I'm not going to be able to ever have muscles like they do. And of course that's ridiculous and makes absolutely no sense and it is not scientifically even remotely true. It's <laughs> so um, with a much cajoling that day. And I think I finally just said yes. So he would shut up and leave. Um, I said, yes, I'll, I'll start going to the gym. And that started me down a path. I think I was 29, 28, 29. I still had my 300 ZX. That was before my DUI. And I'll go into that another time. Um, but yeah, I think that was about 28, whenever that happened. And he got me going to the gym. And sure enough, because of the gym, I started changing muscular-wise. I started to eat healthier, and I stopped drinking so much. I even took up running and started running 5Ks. And uh, while my alcoholism stuck... Uh, being physically fit and and healthy became something I knew I could accomplish if I put my energy and my resources to it. And so uh, throughout my 30s, as I went from various stages of alcoholism, um, working out and being healthy was always a major part of that. So flash forward to whenever I get sober, and that's the very first thing I did, was I got my gym membership back The, the day they, I went to Kaiser and I turn myself in and, you know, turn myself in. It wasn't like I was in trouble. I just went to Kaiser and said, please, God, help me. (laughs) Please. I can't be this way anymore. And, uh, I went, I went straight to the Equinox in Hollywood and got my membership, uh, back up and running and was, you know, at the gym. I think it took about two weeks to go through detox. And once I was able to actually, you know, hold down food and water, I went to the gym. And, And I tell you this story because, I was I, I learned a long time ago, back at again at twenty seven twenty eight, how important physical fitness is. And I honestly do believe that even though I kept drinking like it was my job, that because I would work out at during the afternoon or I'd stay sober for three or four days to, you know, work out while my body was readjusting to sobriety and then waiting for the weekend to come, uh, working out became a major, major part of my entire life. And I really do believe that I had I not started work. had Let me slow down and say that a little bit better. I really do believe that had I not gotten into the weight room and realized how important physical fitness and my health were, that the alcohol would have had an either deeper impact on me in my 30s and perhaps, and I broke down. My body was breaking down by the time I checked into Kaiser. I may not have lived through what I put myself through. Um, And so as I step into this new version of myself um, and I see this growth in my emotional maturity, it reminds me a lot about the growth I experienced when I first started working out and how because I had so little muscle, the gains really started to to show up and pop rather quickly. And I'm noticing that in my emotional maturity is that, oh yeah, that's how this whole thing started, is that there will be times where you feel like you're not growing at all. And then out of nowhere, you look in the mirror and you're like, wow, I look so different. Um, And so even though those gains may... No no muscle building campaign that you do in the gym happens overnight. It takes weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months. And because you see yourself every day, you may not notice the changes, but out of nowhere, you'll all of a sudden look at a little picture and be like, wow, I've changed a lot. And that's exactly how my emotional maturity is. I go through all of this stuff and I wonder sometimes, "Am am I really moving forward in my recovery? And then something will happen where I'll react a certain way. And then I'll remember how I used to react and, and how I used to blame others and how I used to get, you know, have these emotional outbursts and almost let the rage monster take over. And, and all of a sudden now I can stop and breathe and, and, and just assess the situation before I immediately have a, a response. And that's something my therapist talks to me a lot about is that uh, as addicts, we lack um, forgetting the term. It's like some sort of control, it's it's almost like we just, everything's got to be instant, instant gratification, instant fix, instant response. And it's like we, we lack this governor, this, uh, I'll remember it at some point, and I'm not going to go back and re-edit this just to fit, put that word in there. Um, I'm going to let this be real here as I, as I just be honest with you guys. There's it's something in us that we just, we lack this ability to just sort of stop and assess and think. And that's really where this emotional maturity comes in. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, what are the three keys that I've learned about emotional maturity since I got into sobriety, which again, I've been in sobriety for over two years, but I've really only been in recovery for about uh, 18 months of that. I think for the first six months, I was a little bit head up my own ass and uh, that's going to happen. And I I accept it because this is the journey and and I'm okay with that. The three keys I have found in my emotional maturity so far is taking responsibility for my words and actions, not blaming others for my words and actions, and three, understanding what it is I am actually feeling and why I'm saying what it is I'm saying. Um, Let's take the first one, taking responsibility for your words and actions. You are 100% responsible for the communication that you give out to somebody. And they are 100% responsible for how they receive it just because, you know, I could walk up to somebody who doesn't know me and say, Ben, I mean, your clothes look stupid. And they could laugh it off and be like, whatever, dude. Um, or they could freak out and be upset, right? But I'm just somebody they don't even know. They're choosing to react however they choose to react. I'm sure this has occurred in your life. Someone you don't even know or like or care about will come up and, and doggone something about you or what you're doing and you're you're flipping. You're like, whatever, I don't even care. I don't care enough about you to care about your opinion. But then someone else can come up to you and say the same thing and all of a sudden it really hurts or you get angry. And so you're responsible for your words and your actions. Whatever you say to somebody, you're responsible for. And however you receive what they say to you, you are equally responsible for. You know, I can't make anyone feel anything. I can say something that might instigate a feeling in them, but they're choosing that feeling. And we'll, we'll talk more about this later, but in my life coaching, what I, what I talk to my clients about is that, you know, thoughts cause feelings, which drive actions, which create results. You know, it's much like the, um, the. there's a book called Atomic Habits that discusses um, the cycle of, of, habit, of ha- habit structure, cue, craving, response, reward, you know, and so in that thing I just said, thoughts, feelings, actions, results, you know, the thought can be the cue, and then the craving is this feeling you get that you, you need this, and then there's your response, which is your action, and then there's the reward, which is the result, and so all of this ties in. And so you've you got to look at things and step back and say, okay, you know, with my, what, if here's my actions. Then what feeling created that action? And then what thought drove that feeling? And then what thought caused the whole damn thing to begin with? And that's where not blaming others for your, your words and actions. Because you're in charge of how you feel you know if somebody sits there and says i don't trust that you're sober i don't trust that you're you're committed to this but I, I don't believe i don't this i don't that about your sobriety you if you get defensive and you get angry with them it's almost like what they're really doing is they're tapping into something inside of you that doesn't believe that you're serious and that you're on lock with this you got to be on lock It doesn't matter if your girlfriend or your boyfriend breaks up with you, your mom and dad call you a piece of crap, people that you've you've wronged tell you that they're never going to forgive you and that they'll never trust you and that they don't believe. It doesn't matter. Do you believe? If you if Ultimately, you might have to step away from some of those people for a while so you can get some time under your belt. And I believe I discussed this in Episode 2, I'll Never Drink Again versus One Day at a Time. You might have to step away from some of those people you wronged. If you're a NAAA kind of person or a or refuge recovery, smart recovery, you've probably gone through some steps or some of the truths where you have to go back and apologize. And that's great. And do that. Follow that. Be a part of whatever program you're in. If it says go back and apologize and make amends, then you must be a part of that. Follow your program to a T. You chose your program. Have faith and confidence in your program and do your damn program. And if other people don't want to get on board once you've made those amends and you've apologized, then you need to step away. you got to take responsibility for your words and actions and not blame others for your words and actions. But other people have to take responsibility for their words and actions, too and not be blaming you for their words and actions. What you did then is not who you are now. If, if people want if, if, you know if there's a meme that I saw on Instagram the other day is like don't judge a book based on the chapter that you showed up in. And you know if I'm that book don't judge me based on this bad moment, this bad day. Those chapters you read back then, that was the story then. This is a whole new story now. We're doing things all differently now. And that's, that's extremely important that you get on board with that within yourself. I cannot stress that enough. If someone challenging your sobriety and your recovery, if somebody challenging your behaviors and actions, if that gets to you, then, either, then there's something in you that says you're not, you, either your behaviors and actions aren't congruent with this new version of yourself. You're not living a life of integrity, humility, and gratitude. Right, like why else if somebody walks up to me and is like, "You're fat and ugly, and I don't think for a moment that I'm fat and ugly, then they can go to hell. Why on earth would I care what they have to say? The fact that they would even think that calling me fat and ugly is something that I could even remotely believe just proves that they have no clue what's going on in my life they they don't even they don't even count they're just they're they they're just putting carbon monoxide in my air. <laughs> You know so if somebody challenges your sobriety and recovery and that offends you and you get all angry and, you, and you, you're not being responsible for your words and actions and you lash out and then you blame them for that. Look inside yourself and ask yourself what is, it, what is that, why is it that I'm actually feeling in the way that I am right now and why am I saying these words that I am right? This is key number three, understanding what it is you're actually feeling and why are you, and why you're saying whatever it is you're saying? Right? Because if you have a thought that drives a feeling, your action's generally gonna be to do something with your body, whether it's a movement or whether it's using words. All right. And so understand why you're feeling the way that you do. What was the thought that drove that feeling? All right? Somebody says, I don't believe that you're actually gonna stay sober and get into recovery. All right? And that caused that they say that. So your thought is, well, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm gonna fail. Maybe I'm a loser. Maybe I've always been a loser. Why did I even try? Shit, where's the crack? right? That feeling that you had all those thoughts and now those thoughts make you feel like you're a loser. Thoughts, those, those that, that thought that whenever they said, I don't believe that you're going to stay sober, you thought, well, maybe they're right. Maybe I can't do this. And then your feeling became a, a failure of sadness, of depression, right? And then your action is whatever it is. And it's usually going to be the lash out, just rage on that person, right? To just immediately say, oh yeah, well, I can hurt you just as badly. So understand why it is that you're feeling that way. When they say that, is there a doubt in you? Is that why you're lashing back out? And if there's that doubt in you, then let's discuss the doubt. Let's figure out where that doubt lies. What, what is it in your world that is causing you to believe that you, this sobriety recovery isn't going to stick? I'm sure we've all heard that, you know, I might have a relapse in me, but I'm not sure I have another recovery. I remember somebody saying that in one of my meetings at Kaiser and thinking, yeah, yeah, I don't want to start back at day zero and I won't. I know this is going to stick because I am committed to this new life of mine. I know that my life is infinitely better because every single day I wake up sober is way better than any one of those days I woke up hungover. The only time I ever enjoyed partying was when I was in the middle of the party. The, when, as soon as the sun came up and I had to deal with the aftermath, no matter how much ecstasy or LSD or ketamine or whatever it was that I was on the night before, now I've got it. Now I'm all ate up. Now I'm like, oh, why did I do that? And so, it's go, you know, so it's hit the bottle, hit the joint, hit the, the line, whatever it takes to get me back to, to at least as straight as possible to go to work or to eat so that I can refuel, so I can go back out and do it again. So in order to really grow with this emotional maturity, you need to be taking responsibility for your words and actions and not blaming others for them. Whatever you say, whatever your actions, whatever the words you use, those are on you. You take responsibility for that right now because I can guarantee you back when you were using, you had no problem blaming others. Oh, well, I wouldn't have been late if it hadn't been my, my phone or I wouldn't have been late had it not been for traffic or I would have done a better job had she supported me or, you know, oh, you know, the teacher doesn't like me. That's why I didn't get good grades, whatever you got. I, I don't even need to help you come up with examples. The moment I say you used to blame others for your words and actions, you probably, no probably, you definitely have at least 10 that pop into your head. And if you were to single out your mom, your dad, your siblings, your loved ones, you know, people close to you, you probably have 10 per person so understand what it is that you're feeling and and whenever you use your words and actions now and what it, and why is it that you're saying what you're saying and if you get defensive and you get upset with someone then what they're doing is they are they're they're poking something inside of you and if you and if they they say i don't think you're going to stay sober and that really upsets you and you get mad then you need to ask yourself what is it what is going on inside of you that thinks that you can't stick with sobriety I challenged one of my friends recently on something uh, when it came to, it was a work-related issue, and he got emotionally triggered immediately, like yelling. And that told me that I hit a nerve. And what I said wasn't out of line. I was just a statement of what I had noticed. But I mean, throughout most of the conversation, very mellow mannered very just chill going with the conversation we were having a disagreement but we were both staying very centered and grounded and present but when i said this one particular thing he yelled and he got very offended and that tells me that i hit a nerve that what i said whether it was right or wrong he he believes there's a part of it that was correct because he wouldn't have reacted the way that he did and so you find yourself reacting in a negative fashion when someone says something then some part of you believes that to be true. And you need to get yourself completely centered and grounded on the fact that you have chosen sobriety and recovery for a reason. That all those people out there standing at the bar, chasing the next shot, chasing the next drink, buying buying a 50 bag and going to the to the stall, whatever they're doing, they are chasing something that they are never going to catch. And they are running from something that will definitely catch them. We've all been there, guys. We've all been running from that emotional baggage, right? And then it catches us. It's like we're we're running after a high, that that that, that ultimate high that's going to somehow numb it all away forever, and we can immediately wake up and be healed. We're chasing that dragon. And we're chasing that. But in the end, what we're actually running from is way faster. Our emotional baggage, our emotional trauma, our, it's it's so much faster than us. It's coming for us, and it's going to get us. It got us. That's why we're here in sobriety recovery. Finally, it grabbed a hold of us and we we're like, you're right. Like, I'm done. I can't do it this way anymore. I've had it. I've had it. I'm not chasing this This dragon anymore? I'm not thinking that I'm ever gonna catch the perfect high that's gonna numb it all away for good and I'm forever be healed. No, I'm gonna turn around and I'm gonna face the emotional trauma that's been chasing after me. I'm gonna stop it in its tracks. I'm gonna unwrap it all. I'm gonna figure out where the hell it's coming from and I'm gonna freaking fix it as much as it can be fixed. (laughs) Right? We're not we're not machines. We can't just tinker, tinker, tinker and eventually everything's good. There's always you can't just make that emotional trauma go away, but you can see it from a different perspective. You can step out of yourself and you know stop seeing it from a, an associated point of view, which is from your own eyes. Step outside of it and see it from a third-person point of view. What was really going on in that situation? You know, step out of it and and and, and, and be inside the person or that that caused the trauma and, and and wonder to yourself what kind of trauma did they have to go through that they thought that them putting you through that trauma was okay. Like, we're all hurt little kids, eventually becoming adults hurting each other. And so, yeah, when an adult hurts you, you're just, you want to beat them down. You want to beat them back. You know, I mean, some people have done some heinous stuff to us. All right. The, whatever the worst crime you can think of, there's somebody out there listening and it's happened to them. I'm not saying, you know, give, that, uh, give a pass to the person who did that to you or did that to your friend, but think about the kind of crud, the shit that they had to have gone through. As a child, as a human being, throughout their entire life, that they got to that point and then did that to you, or you, or or did that to somebody you loved. Like that's, I mean, you start to see how like this circle of hate and this circle of a lack of empathy starts to come back. That's the kind of stuff that we've got to unwrap, guys. That's the kind of emotional maturity that we're stepping into now. We're we're figuring all of this out, and this conversation is is so far from being done. But I feel like I've given you enough to start to chew on today. The three keys for emotional maturity, the title of this one's called Emotional Maturity Part One. I've got like 10 of these things listed out. But this is the one that's getting me the most right now because I'm realizing I, I have to take responsibility for my words and actions and I cannot blame others for my words and actions. Key number one and two. And then understand what it is I'm actually feeling when I say those words and why am I saying it. And what am I actually feeling when I do those actions, and why? And why am I acting that way? You know, if you stop and ask yourself, you know, somebody if somebody says something whack to you, let's just go. Let's stick with the sobriety theme. I don't think you're, you're going to stay sober. You know, take responsibility for your reaction to that, and you cannot blame them for that either. They might be trying to just get a rise out of you, or they might just be wanting to start a really deep, heartfelt conversation about what they've seen in the past. And they just want to know more about what you're going through. And when somebody says that to you, that could be a really great response. You know, I'm fully committed to my sobriety. What would you like to know about what I'm putting myself through so that you can understand how committed I am? Not what do I need to say to you so that you believe me. Not what do I need to say to you so that you trust me. No. What do I need to talk to you about? that I'm putting myself through so that you can understand how committed I am. Now, for some of y'all who've had to choose sobriety because of police mandated or because somebody's forcing you to do it, you're, you're still in a position where you can start to think, isn't this just a better way to live life? Isn't this just a better way to live life? Not everyone's going to get there at the same time. I didn't get there till I was 40. I've heard people getting there at 18 because of two years of alcoholism and drug, drug addiction. And they were like, nope, I'm good. I'm good, 86 this, I'm moving on. Everybody gets there at their own speed. And regardless of how you find yourself in this world of sobriety, whether it's been a day or 100,000 days, just ask yourself, what is it that you've been running from and what is it that you're chasing? and just understand why it is that you're that you're actually feeling and acting the way that you are and if somebody challenges you then just just be real calm and say what would you like to know about what I'm going through so that you can better understand how serious I am about this and if you've relapsed multiple times that, that then those are just that that's just life putting you through a couple more different tests so that whenever you finally do stick with it, and you finally reach for the stars, and you're able to to, to get, you know, ten day, one day, then ten, then then fifty, hundred, you know, whatever that is, and you finally get there, you've earned it. You truly have put yourself through the fire. One second, 100,000 seconds, man. It's, it's like the, the point is is that once your mind knows that it wants to go through with the sobriety and into recovery stage of your life, even if you have a couple hiccups that knock you backwards, I can promise you your brain did not forget. And it's ready to get on board as soon as you're ready to, to confront the emotional trauma. So this has been all about emotional maturity, guys. Please leave some comments on social media, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook, um, at From Sobriety to Recovery. You can hear me on Podbean and um, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, and what is the other one? Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and... There's another one. Anyways, all of the links are on my Instagram account. So if you found me on Podbean, but you prefer to listen to me on a different one, um, iHeartRadio is coming soon. You can find all those links in my bio link on my Instagram account. Please subscribe, rate, review. Uh, I think this has been a really great conversation for us to get into. Uh, I know that for some of you, this has really hit home. And I told that story at the beginning about my physical fitness and and my my Tour de France love affair for you to realize that, you know, there was a time where I was not ready to deal with my emotional trauma and baggage. But I was, someone reached out and said, you know what, at least if we get you into the gym, you'll be able to to counteract some of this. And so what is your emotional gym? What are some of the things you can do to start working your emotional maturity button or emotional maturity muscles? having vulnerable conversations with people that you that are within your inner circle, uh, having a really deep share at one of your meetings, um, admitting to, you know, I know that with NAA and NA, you, what the, we do the, the, the prayer at the end about accepting things that we cannot change and knowing the difference. You know, really, really take that in and really understand how important that is and, and journal about it and write about it and talk about it because there's nothing I want more than for all of us to succeed in sobriety and recovery. You know, this isn't one of those situations where anybody ever wants to see someone else fail in it. You know, and again, it's not failure, it's feedback. If you happen to take a step backwards in your sobriety and recovery and you relapse or you come close to it or you get an argument, just one second at a time what one day at a time you know you'll get there and uh, through these conversations we're having i think that we'll be able to grow and heal together and know that there's always someone and you just need to know when you've hit that point where it's time to call upon them <laughs> you know just just know that there is an energy about the sobriety and recovery community that is just all-encompassing. And I know that for some of y'all who've been in it for years and years and years, uh, you may not even be listening to this. Somebody may have turned you on to it or you may have just heard somebody else talking about it. But for those of you who might know somebody in this for years and years and years, you know, some people don't need to be fully immersed in it forever and ever and ever. Um, I happen to just be one of those people who, since I life coach a lot of clients in in and out of uh, the sobriety and recovery community, I have other people that have nothing to do with addiction recovery. Um, I see addiction cropping up in so many people's lives. Everybody has something they're addicted to whether it's porn, food, sex, drugs, rock and roll. It doesn't matter. Everybody has something. And just know that you're not alone. So I love you all. Thank you so much, so much, so much, so much, so much for listening. Again, you know, go out there. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review. Nothing looks better in iTunes when somebody's trying to find an amazing podcast than a high ranking and a lot of really good reviews. And, you know, go out there. Uh, tell me what you. What, tell me what else you want to know. If you found me on Instagram, Facebook, however you found me, leave me a comment. Tell me what you thought about this episode. I love you all. I wish you nothing but the best. The power of positive energy. Release and flow. Until next time. Love y'all.